Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book and chapter by chapter. Last time we looked at the first part of this part of Joshua that deals with the people of Joseph, his descendants, which were numerous, by far the most numerous when you put them together, Ephraim and Manasseh. So last time in chapter 16 about Ephraim and now 17 about Manasseh, right? So, okay, this should be pretty straightforward. Nothing really surprising here, but wait, Zalafahad returns. Do you guys remember this from numbers? There was this kind of, it was kind of an interesting situation, kind of weird from our perspective. There were these daughters who were saying, Hey, look, if you don't give us a kind of special inheritance, our father's names are going to just get wiped out. No one's going to remember our father's names. And so this detail all the way back from numbers, all of a sudden is coming up and it has a really big impact on what happens. So appreciating what's going on, remembering what was that whole story about seeing how these things fit together and looking at the vast, vast land that ends up belonging to Manasseh and, and what's going on. And as we saw last time, how does this show God's purposes through the history that's being narrated? So good stuff to be looking forward to today. And joining us, we have, I'm always delighted to have this special guest with us. We have, uh, we're blessed to have the fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod with us today. We've got Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. Welcome back, brother. So good to have you with us. Well, Brother Spinazzo, blessed morning in the name of Christ. What a joy to be with you and our beloved saints who are listening via the medium of the radio and the internet. It's always a joy to talk about the love of Jesus with you and the people who listen to us on this wonderful, wonderful gift we call KFUO. Keep on forward, upward, forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. And it, it, you're right. It is about the love of Jesus. And we saw that last time, even, you know, in that short little chapter about Ephraim, how, you know, like, well, what, well, what is there in this, right? You know, it's just kind of descriptions of borders, you know, that there's not much there. But no, wait, we saw, you know, in that way that Ephraim gets put first ahead of Manasseh, we saw, you know, this is that love of Jesus, how Jesus is looking at the second born and the second class and the left out and the marginalized and going to them. And we, we saw how really, um, even in this chapter, which might just seem like it's kind of just legal geographical stuff, it's pointing to the pattern that we have in scriptures just all over the place of God's mercy and love, which are most manifest in Christ. So I think we're going to see the same thing today even though it's apparently just a lot of names and borders and stuff, there's patterns to be seen. And it's about the love of Jesus, like you just said. Indeed, indeed. <clears throat> Absolutely. All right. Well, would you please start us out with a prayer for us and for everyone listening along today as we get started? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, your servant Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is in Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. O Father, we swim in Holy Scripture through the words of Joshua. Help us to look beyond the names and the territories to the only name that is above every name, but the name of Jesus, and to see how God's power is manifested in keeping his promises that he has set forth even before the foundation of the world. Lord, I pray in particularly for those who will be listening to this conversation today, that it may be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. Open their ears and hearts to hear a word of hope and help and point them to heaven. Be with me and our host, Espinazo, as we together dissect, look at, and share the words of the living Christ who gives us the undeserved inheritance through his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary on a Friday of so long ago. 
be with us now as we pray this in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, brother. Uh, well, well said. You know, I, we have definitely felt that a little bit already. Uh, we're going to really feel uh, feel it next time in chapter 18. But yeah, as you put it, swimming in the names. There certainly are a lot. A lot of these names are very unfamiliar uh, to many of us. Uh, I believe, brother, that you have been um, to the actual land in question here. I, I have not had uh, the chance yet, though I would certainly be blessed to do so. But as you said, in the midst of all the names, um, there is the salt of the gospel to be had. I really like the way you put that. Yeah. Well, let me just say for our listeners, I am a native of Israel. I've been uh, almost all of the names that I have read. I have uh, driven through some places I've visited more than others. There's only like one of two places that did not even ring a bell for me when the names were shared, because, of course, wow. we are talking about 4,000 years ago or better. Right. And so some of the names may have been changed, but the majority of the places I have actually been there, some places I played soccer, some places <laughs> I visited with my family, and I take some of my, uh, on my tours, I take some of the people to places, and particularly Beichan. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that and that's um and that's just such a blessing because, you know, you really it, it, that's of course the the best way to understand this and it really is something we're talking about a little bit today, um, if if you will indulge me, I we haven't talked that much about geography, but there's a there's one point I want to maybe spend a little bit of time today talking about geography, um, but you know it's really as you're just kind of explaining, it, you really lose something when you haven't actually seen the place with your own eyes and walked up and down the slopes or, or at least like to be able to look at a map because you know, the words that they don't actually uh, make sense all the time. If you just kind of read it, like they're just, you know, marks on a page, we're talking about a real life place. And that's, that's just something that just makes such an impression on me as you read this document as old as it is, but it's talking about like real life, the same planet and the same places that that we live and breathe and move about and you know the scriptures it's not pie in the sky it's it's about this chunk of earth here that we're all sharing well let me just kind of as a prelude to what we are going to discuss because i think i read it both in the hebrew and the english um, and i read some commentaries on it let me just kind of give a little bit of a foretaste of what it is that we are going sure. to consider the mm-hmm. number one that i think is of utmost importance is uh, ungratefulness of the people of Manasseh. I think that's number one. Number two, they have forgotten the promises of God that he will be with them. And they are not much different than uh, their forefathers who were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, in Egypt actually, and they were in the wilderness. And when God said to Moses, send 12 spies, he said, we shouldn't go up because there are too many. And we hear that mm-hmm. being reiterated, what the fathers have said, the children are saying. And secondly, secondly, they have forgotten the incarnational presence of Christ among them as the one who is the man of war, even though they talk about Machil is the man of war, but they forgot that God fights for us. And of course, then the power of God that is being displayed. So it is very important for us to understand what that really is all about. As I was looking at all of this, I said, where is the gospel in this thing? How do I bring that out? And we will bring that out towards the end. So I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. So we will hold off until, until we bring that up as we go through the discussion. Very, very good, and I and I have and I have a, li- a little. I th- maybe maybe we can say it's a gospel connection as well, because I'm I'm hoping anyway. Like I said, to talk a little bit about the well, geography hold today. It, hold it, hold that, hold that. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Just remember that. Don't say maybe. I'm going to correct you right now. Even you are the host, but I just want you to know, it there is gospel in this portion, and we'll we'll discuss yeah, it. There, there certainly can. is. 
No, there's certain there is no doubt. There is no doubt. You are right. All right. Well, let's get started with just reading the first two verses here of Joshua chapter 17, just so we can kind of get back into the flow here. We remember we just had the read. Uh, we just read over that paragraph that was explaining the territory of Ephraim. There was that kind of, uh, you know, uh, ominous note about not driving out the Canaanites and them um, gazer, right? And we're like, hmm, okay, something that's kind of, you know, hinting at something not so good happening later. Okay. And then we have in chapter 17, just these first two verses, just introducing the next part here. Then allotment was made to the people of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. To Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, were allotted Gilead and Bashan, because he was a man of war. And allotments were made to the rest of the people of Manasseh by their clans, Abiezer, Helek, Asriel, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemidah. These were the male descendants of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their clans. All right. So uh, just turning our attention here to Manasseh, it is interesting that it explicitly goes and mentions, right, the bit about Manasseh being Joseph's firstborn. And so um, even though, again, right, even though he's the firstborn, he's he's going second here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not like he's been left out or the firstborn has been totally discarded. Um, there's there's actually a, a pretty significant allotment being being made to him and his sons here. Very true. And if you remember when Jacob, the patriarch, grandfather of Ephraim and Manasseh, was giving the blessing, he didn't put his hand on Joseph, but he put it on the children. And um, and the Lord moved Jacob to put his hand on Ephraim. And Joseph was mad, if you remember Genesis 48, and he wanted him to put on Ephraim. And he said, no. But then look at the patriarch himself. He is the second also in line. Right, right. And um, so Esau was the firstborn. Jacob is the second. And so there is a pattern over there. But in all of these things, God works for good to those who love him in accordance with his purpose. And this is the key. And so as we look at the territory, and I don't, I wasn't listening yesterday because I had my own Bible study, so I didn't listen to Ephraim's discussion. Mm-hmm. But if our saints have a Bible that they can look at the tribal territories of Israel, they will find that Manasseh is on the northeast side of um, the proper Israel of today. And it's primarily on the east side. Part of it is on the western part of the Jordan. But you can see it extremely Put together, and if you have the map, you will notice that perhaps it is one of the biggest territories that's given to the people of Manasseh. Yeah, yes, it, it is. It's big. It's big, and when you uh, you look big, at it, actually. it's very. Big. <laughs> yeah. I read, yeah, when you, some, I read some ahead. commentary that said you can cross it in about eight hours, and that's very possible because part of it would be in Jordan proper today. And part of it would be in Israel today. Right, right. Yes, right. I mean, it's it's actually, in, if you look at it, is really interesting to actually go and compare uh, the the kind of the old Bible map that you might see, for instance, in the Lutheran Study Bible, you know, what, what the 12 tribes looked like kind of back then. And then you look at just, you can just look, look at it on Google Maps, right, and look at what it is today. Um, there's There's a lot of interesting similarities. Um, and there's also some very striking differences, as you said. Some things are in you know different countries and, and whatnot. Um, certainly, I wanted to um, before we move on, just meant, like maybe ask you about one thing. It is interesting here, you know. So there's this, you know, here comes the lot um, falling to Manasseh to to be given this land here to the west of the Jordan, uh, along with most of the rest of the tribes. And there's just kind of this reminder comment, right? That oh, and by the way, remember, right? Um, to, to, to Makir, you know, he remember because he was a man of war, that is to say, because he went and he fought and he, you know, just took out these, uh, the inhabitants of these other cities, right? He got an extra basically allotment for the people of Manasseh, you know, by means of, I just, you know, being so militant, right? Just kind of remembering or reminding us, oh, right, that's, that's what happened. That's how they wound up with this extra bit over here on the east side, um, in Gilead and, 
uh, invasion. And uh, I, I, well, you had mentioned it earlier that this man of war comment here. Do, do you think there's a little bit more going on um, than just simply a reminder by referring to him this way? What are your What are your thoughts? Well, apparently, from what I have that he is a man of war. He was actually fighting in Egypt, too, when they were leaving. And so he's a man of war. Yeah, because it, it literally in the Hebrew, Ish Milchama, Vihayalo, Higilat, Bebashan, Gilead, and Bashan. And to both of those places I've been. Um, you know, uh, uh, my, th- <clears throat> excuse me, my thoughts on that, this man... <clears throat> is like Caleb and Nun put the trust in God. He's a man of war, but he wasn't on his own. Uh, he's not relying on his own. And that's not infer- uh, explicit, but it's inferred he is a man of war fighting for God. We, we do see that in, in this particular place, right, in the scriptures, there is a correlation um, it's not it's not 100%, but there is a fairly strong correlation between success in war um, and faithfulness to God. And, and, you know, sometimes we look at that from our perspective and we're like, now, hang on, what? Um, it doesn't it doesn't sound uh, may, may, maybe what, what we're necessarily used to kind of in, in light of the, the New Testament and the gospel, right? But, but there is something, just as you were saying, that, you know, really the success is what God says again and again. If you guys are going to have success, it's it's going to be by by my hand, and that was what the whole thing with you know, of course, Joshua and Caleb was about. That they had the boldness because they knew God was going with them, and so, yeah, I, I do I do agree that you know if we see you know, um, uh, Makir being successful, if Scripture doesn't you know kind of pull back and say like, well, you know, and he was also like really bad or something, then the kind of natural way of reading it is like, well, yeah, he had faith in God, and that's and is because of it was by faith that he was granted such such success and well, that we really could you, probably should read study, it positively. If study, yeah, if you study the previous books when under Moses, when the people went out to fight, the Lord went ahead of them and they had the bravery. Right. And when they tried to do it on their own, they were defeated. So there is that faithfulness aspect in trusting God to guide your sword to slay the wicked. We know that. Even when Joshua was uh, fighting and they stood the sun, right? The peop- uh, When God, he prayed that the sun will be held for 24 hours. And we do know that the battle, um, excuse me, the, mo- hands, uh, the hands of Moses, not Joshua. But um, when they held Moses' hands while the people were fighting, every time they held it up, the Israelite advanced, and every time he put him down, and they finally held his hands up. And so we do realize that God asks us to put our trust in him. He is the one who's going to fight on our behalf. And some places God intervenes, and he does the fighting. Other times God says, I want you to be my instruments for the nations around you. And we can't forget that. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's go ahead now. So this is really a really interesting turn, like I was saying. You, you kind of expect after verse 2, we're just going to have this kind of, you know, kind of dry description of like, okay, and so these, this, these are how the lots fell, you know, this is how they inherited. But wait, <laughs> here comes a wrinkle here. Remember this guy with this with this name, right, and his daughter's names um, from Numbers, right? So this is recalling this story, and hang on, there's kind of this, this wrinkle here. So let's let's read this twist here that we get in chapter 17 when Zalafahad comes back onto the scene here. So here we go, verses 3 through 6. Now, Zalafahad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Malah, Noah, Haglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun and the leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So, according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Thus, there fell to Manasseh ten portions, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. 
All right. So uh, here we are. The promise that God spoke through Moses comes true without fail. And even if it means that, you know, Manasseh is going to get 10 portions here, right? And maybe we're like, hang on, it doesn't seem fair. No, uh, the, the point is, if God promises it, he's going to follow through, right? That's very true. And I really want our listeners, the beloved saints, to hear clearly what I'm about to say. In the Jewish tradition, the sons were the one who were inheritance of the father's property. And it's still pretty much the same today, unlike the rest. Primarily, the sons get all the inheritance, and the, the girls don't because they're leaving home. But what I see right here is truly a profound statement that God has no um, distinction between male and female. I, I, I really want to stress this point because God's word is true. And the undeserved inheritance is not only for the men, but even for the women, as the Apostle Paul reminds us. We are all one in Christ, Greek and Jew, yes. slave and free, male and female. And this is so profound, so pregnant to realize that even if you are a woman, God's grace is given to you. It's not because you are a male or a female, even though that's how it was in the past. But God is setting the incarnational presence even among these five ladies. And they remind Joshua and Eliezer, whose name means God is my helper. They sought help from the people who could make the difference, and they received what God has promised. I don't know if you looked at it in the Hebrew. Um, yeah, I, I did, I did a little, at, yeah. Okay, if you look at the verse 4, in particularly, it says, and uh, Yahweh Tzavah, God commanded it, Moshe, Moses, to give uh, to us inheritance in the heart of, or in the center of our brothers, mm-hmm. okay, and he gave to them LP upon the mouth of Yahweh, in the midst of the sons um, of the father. Okay, mm-hmm. why do I want to emphasize this? God's mm-hmm. word has been uttered. Remember what it says in Isaiah 55. God's word will never come back empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And in here, we see um, God fulfilling that promise in the description that he gives the inheritance to these young ladies so that they may live among their brothers the sons of their fathers. And it's a wonderful imagery that all of God's children, male and female, are receiving the undeserved inheritance, which is like you and like me. I'm a Palestinian. Uh, You have uh, the sound of a Spanish background. Mm -hmm. And yet we receive an undeserved inheritance, not in the promised land of Israel of today, in the new Israel that is based on the promise of Christ who said, I go to prepare a place for you. So we have that wonderful, wonderful blessing to know that we are the recipient of undeserved grace, undeserved inheritance, that is ours on account of the one. And this is where the gospel comes in towards the end, brother, is when we understand this is God's doing, not based on your status or your gender. Amen, brother. I couldn't have said it better. We had to take a short break here, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at Joshua chapter 17 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back.
On this Friday, February 7th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Rusty and Alvira Backus of St. Louis, Missouri. Rusty and Alvira made a gift to KFUO Radio in thanksgiving to the Lord for his many blessings and in celebration of their 28th wedding anniversary. Thank you, Rusty and Alvira Backus, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 17 today, and we're joined by the fourth vice president of our LCMS, Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. And we were just talking about here this idea of undeserved grace, which is just a beautiful gospel theme that you see, yes, here um, in the middle of an Old Testament chapter with lots of Hebrew names. There it is, talking about grace and undeserved mercy for everyone, even us Gentiles, uh, everyone, no matter what your status is. A beautiful, beautiful uh, gospel moment here in the midst of the text. I want to make sure to invite our live listeners. If you do have a question for me or for Pastor Noor, please do uh, send your questions or comments. You can send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can call us 1-800-730-2727. Or you can always, uh, if you're in St. Louis, call local 314-821-0850. Also, we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, Speaking about undeserved grace for all, right? Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Check out their website if you haven't already. All right. So, yes, bringing us back to the theme here, I totally agree. And it's really striking too, right? Um, Because this comes right after the bit about the switcheroo right between the firstborn and the secondborn, right? And so this just underscores, it's not like God loves males more than females. It's not like God loves firstborn more than secondborn, right? We we have these moments right next to each other in chapter 16 and 17 just underscore, right? Like, well, yeah, no, there's a certain order, right? You know, there's a certain order of things. There's a way that's specified in the law, right? There's good reasons for it. But uh, there, there's no in in God's book. There's no you know uh, second class recipient of yeah. His love. His love and grace are for all, no matter the birth order, no matter the gender. Right. That is correct. Correct. And I don't know again, dear brother, if you talked about what does Minasa mean. Did you guys discuss that yesterday? We didn't yesterday. I w- we may have talked about that way back in numbers. But so please go ahead. Well, let me just kind of refresh. Uh, when he's the firstborn of Joseph, remember Joseph was taken as a young man to Egypt, and his firstborn was called Menasseh in the mm-hmm. Hebrew, which is cause me to forget. Okay, And so when we talk about his name, God wants them to forget the slavery and to see the Savior of the world. And it's very important for us, rather than focusing on our troubles, to focus on our triumphs in the one who has given us the uh, the undeserved inheritance. Rather than looking at the burdens of the past, let us focus on that which is the blessing in the future and present right now. And so the names have all of these names, and we don't have enough time to go through all of this name, all of these names, but you know, even like some of the names of the young ladies and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, they are so profound in meanings, and there's no uh, accidents in the scripture. They are only incidents where God highlights and emphasizes his grace for all people as you look at all of these names and what do they mean and how does that God applies them. You know, we talked about Eliezer. Why mm-hmm. did they go to the high priest who happens to be Eliezer? What does Eliezer mean? Eliezer. My God right. is my helper. He's the one who's going to come to help me. And so they went to the one where they can help. And who is our Eliezer? The high priest, of course, Christ Jesus. He is the only one that helps us forget the past of our sin and to focus on the promised land that he has earned for us through his sacrifice a long time ago on um, uh, Calvary. Amen. You're, you're, you're so right that, you know, this image, right, of, of the daughters of Zalafahad going to the high priest for help, right, clinging to the promises of God, this, this 
absolutely reminds us of the New Testament. You know, we actually mentioned it just yesterday, but like the Syrophoenician woman, right, you know, who's just hanging on. She she knows something about the grace of God, and so that she's going to the high priest, our Lord Jesus, right? And then as you said, you know, this is the way that our Lord talks about it in the Gospel of John, like uh, thereabouts chapter 14-ish, right, where he talks about the the joy that you get, like that a mother gets when she's holding her baby and she forgets her pain, right? And and Paul uses the same kind of language, right? Yeah, I mean, that is that kind of Manasseh-like quality to the gospel, that it's the the joy, the resurrection joy, like the, the new baby, right? There's something new um, that makes us uh, forget the pain, right? So yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot in here that's very um, poignant uh, when read in the New Testament context. Let me just highlight a couple of thoughts also. You remember when we started uh, the prayers, I quoted from Second Corinthians one twenty for all the uh, promises of God find the yes in Him. Right. That is what through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. When God, in His divine wisdom, led Joshua to distribute the land for each allotment, He gave it for them to be a blessing. But they are so ungrateful. And as we look here shortly. What's their biggest complaint? What is the biggest complaint to Joshua? We don't have enough land. We don't have enough territory. How, How much is it like us? We are never content with what God gives us. We want to keep up with the Joneses, right? We want to do all of these things so that we can have what they have. And I see this so blatantly with Manasseh, ungrateful, because they don't think they have enough. And what does Joshua, we'll get to that here in just a few moments when you continue with verse 7. Right, right. Absolutely. So yeah, let's turn and let's look at this land, right? And then we're going to get to the point that you're bringing up, you know, just how much is it? Isn't it enough? These are the questions, right? Um, And then if you will indulge me, there is this one thing I want to maybe get a little, I might get a little long-winded about. I'm going to try not to get too long into it. But in this first part here from verses seven to the first half of verse 10, there's this description of the borders, which brings up this important question. As you said earlier, there are no accidents in the scriptures. So there's a question that gets raised. And and if you look at the commentaries, if you look at your maps, uh, you'll, you'll see it. Now, hang on a second. Is, is Joshua 17 drawing the map the right way? And this, this, the, the reason why I bring it up today, too, is because it kind of uh, it has everything to do with what we were talking about yesterday, too, with how you understand the borders, particularly bet- between Manasseh, Ephraim and Dan. Is there a mistake uh, or is there something is, is there something kind of weird or actually are we perhaps reading it the wrong way? So I'm going to read just from seven to the first half of ten. Uh, I want to kind of lay this out, and then I I would really love to hear your thoughts, because especially you as one who's been there, um, I think can definitely shed some light on it. So just these first, like, you know, it's three and a half verses. I'll kind of lay, sketch this out, and then um, if if you could just kind of elaborate as you see it. So here we are picking up in verse 7. The territory of Manasseh reached from Asher to Michmethath, which is east of Shechem. Then the boundary goes along southward to the inhabitants of Antipua. The land of Tipua belonged to Manasseh, but the town of Tipua on the boundary of Manasseh belonged to the people of Ephraim. Then the boundary went down to the brook Cana. These cities to the south of the brook, among the cities of Manasseh, belong to Ephraim. Then the boundary of Manasseh goes to the north side of the brook, and ends at the sea, the land to the south being Ephraim's, and that to the north being Manasseh's, with the sea forming its boundary. Okay, so just pausing there. Uh, This is where, when you get this commentary here about the sea forming the boundary or going out to the sea, this is where we can potentially get confused. Because if you're reading this, and you're looking at this and it's saying, okay, now hang on a second. So this border goes all the way out to the sea, and on the north side there's Manasseh, and then on the south side you got Ephraim. Well then, now hang on a second. If I'm looking at my Bible map here, if Ephraim goes all the way out to the sea, then where's Dan? And, and, and this is a problem whether you're looking at the old map or the new map, because in the new map, right, you look at Tel Aviv, right, and there's all this stuff that's like talking about Dan, right? Um, and then you look at your old maps, it's talking about Dan. So now hang on a second. Why does it seem like 
Ephraim's going all the way out to the sea. And we, we saw this last time in chapter 16, right? Where again, it was like in 16 um, verse 8, right? From Tapua, the boundary goes westward to the brook Kana and ends at the sea. So uh, now what's up with that? Now I suggested one of the possibilities that people sometimes raise, which is that, well, maybe this is being described from the perspective of uh Dan has already lost his territory, so 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 why talk about it? And and that's what I had suggested last time. And you know, there, there's some logic to that, perhaps. But what happened? And and I, I'm so glad that we have you today because, brother, you uh, I, I I like your emphasis of reading the original. When I was looking at this text in chapter 16, I'm taking a second look at it in the Hebrew. It occurred to me that I'm I'm not sure this translation is uh, actually capturing the idea the best way. And ironically. Uh, the the translation in English that I found that seems to best get this is the King James version because if you, if you look all the way back to the old King James, what what it actually says is not that the Ephraim's border goes all the way out to the sea, but rather here and this is like I'll just go ahead and read this out of the King James here. Uh, I'm this looking is the at only... the Hebrew. What verse are you looking at? Let me. Uh, well, so this, so yeah, if you go back to chapter that... sixteen. Yeah, if you go back to chapter 16, okay, let me, right? Let me go to 16 then. Okay, yeah, and, and, and the, So this is, right, so this is in verse 8. This is in verse 8. And if you look at it, so if you look at it like, so I'll, just, I'll read the King James, and then we can maybe talk about the, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew briefly. But so the King James, I think, gets this right. It says here in the King James, the border went out from Tapua westward unto the river Cana, and the goings out thereof were at the sea. See, so the, yeah. the idea, it's not that the border goes all the way out to the sea, but that this that this river empties out into the sea, right? And the, actually, Ephraim's border stops um, right where you actually get to this river fork. And we're going to talk about that, that that's there's actually this fork in the river. And that, and that's, I think, a really good translation, actually, of what it says in Hebrew. Because in Hebrew, it just pretty much says, like, from Tapua, the border went westward to uh, the, the Wadi, the river Kana. And then it says there, and its exits or its, its deltas were... Yeah. Out in the west, out by the sea. It, it doesn't say that the boundary, that the border actually does that. So if you look carefully at the Hebrew, like there's actually no contradiction here. Dan has not been forgotten, has not been left out. Um, it, it actually, there's there's room for Dan there, right over there. So he can have things like Joppa and all the rest. So just, it was, a, it was just a moment uh, of just like, yeah. wow, the Hebrew makes so much more sense when you, when you look at it. Yeah, in the Hebrew it says Behayu Tetzatav Hayama and and Behayu and or it came to pass. Uh, they're exiting Hayama at the sea. It does not say the border is the sea. Right. But it went out to the sea. Right. right? And then it continues Zot Nachalat Mate Ephraim Lemishpahatam. And this was the allotment or the inheritance uh, of the tribe of the sons of Ephraim and their families. Yeah, you are correct. I mean, this is why we uh, specifically look at the original so that we can grasp the whole picture. And I think in one of your comments where you said you don't want to be long-winded, which is great, but sometimes (laughs) long-windedness is very good so that we can explain what's going on. One of the things I always say there are no mistakes in the scripture. Right. There are mistakes in how we understand things yes. in the scripture. Okay. Who has known the mind of God, the Apostle Paul tells us. We cannot understand everything, even with the linguistic gifts we have, whether it's Greek or Hebrew or German or Latin or whatever it is that we use to decipher these things. Some things are not clear. We take it at full value. God is the author. He put it there for our benefit, even if we don't understand it. And let's not try to twist words so it may appeal logistically. God does not work with logic. God does not work with logic. 
God works because he is love, and he uses everything to bless us in spite of us. This is why I started out by saying how ungrateful we are. People read this and say, oh, it needs to be this way. Who are you to say to God, this is the way it should be? We take God at his word. There are no mistakes in the scripture. It is an undeserved inheritance, whether it be at the sea or beyond the sea or less than the sea. It doesn't make a difference. This is what we have. This is what we go with without trying to explain it in a manner that might make sense in my mind. I don't understand everything that God has said, but I believe it. That settles it. That's it. Amen. Amen. And when we take God at his word, like the daughters of Zelophehad, right? Take God at his word and cling to his promise, and he blesses us. And this is what, what, what we see again and again. And so we, we use our, our logic and our, you know, our linguistics the best we can to try to you know, clear away misunderstandings, right, like we're talking about right now. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, wanna... like, like Luther said, we're, we're, we're beggars, and we just have to rely um, on faith. Well, I don't want to disregard the languages. Don't, I'm not saying this, but what I'm saying is the fact that we take God at his word. He is the author of that language. But the one thing that I want to emphasize before we run out of time, we are about 13 minutes away. Right. We have the sure and certain promise that God fills our heart with hope because he makes the promised land for us. I shared that earlier, but we really cannot overlook this. Uh, It's a short chapter of 18 verses, but it's full with the wisdom of God that man cannot comprehend. And we're trying to put things together uh, as far as how does this fit in my life? Well, God is working it for you. Trust Mm -hmm. him, believe in him, and he will bring it to pass. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. So, so we see then, um, as we, as we look at this, that, well, actually, right, there, there is, there is no mistake. There is no Dan getting left out. The scriptures, um, they actually fit together. And it's just another example, as you were saying, of how very often, um, the problem's not in the Bible. It's not, the problem's not with God. It's, it's, it's with us. We don't, we don't get it right. Um, so when we, we bring this back to chapter 17 here, um, when it when it's talking about this, yes, Manasseh, of course, you look at the maps, right? Manasseh's border does go all the way out to the sea, but not Ephraim's. Um, when it's describing this border here, and it talks about this brook Cana, this seems to be um, what is more or less known um, as as the Jarkon River that was actually mentioned last chapter. And today, I think it's it's called like the Yar- the Yarkon or the the Yar- Yarkon, in actually. Yeah. Yeah, the Yarkon in Israel. And what's fascinating is that um, this this river, I mean, like there's like a fork in it. And so there's one that goes up northward and that north part, right, would actually be Manasseh. And there's that part that goes down south and that south fork then would go into what used to be Ephraim. And so when we get that in verse 10, that seems actually to be the best sense of what's being described there, that the, the north part's just going up to the Manasseh and then the south part is going down into Ephraim. And it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, well, there's a fork in the river. How would we have known that? Like, well, you, I mean, you have to have actually either been there or or, or, or look at a map or, or something. But it's just, it's amazing how it's just very easy to get the wrong idea when, you know, and it's really the problem is with us, right? And not with the, not with the scriptures, but. Scripture does so, not lie. And yeah, if you yes. were to travel to the country, of Israel, you can see it more clearly, you yes, know, right. uh, it, it's evident. Yeah, I've, I've been in these places, and so... Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, thank you, brother, for indulging me and letting getting getting into a little bit of the, the language and geography there. But as you said, uh, time time flees here, so let's, let's pick it back up here and read the rest of the paragraph. We stopped the middle of verse 10, so <clears throat> this is more talking about Manasseh's boundaries again, so... Manasseh is the one that goes out to the sea, and then <clears throat> second half, verse 10, on the north, Asher is reached, and on the east, Issachar. Also in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beth Shean and its villages, and Iblium and its villages, and the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, and the inhabitants of Endor and its villages, and the inhabitants of Tanakh and its villages, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. The third is Napheth. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites 
persisted in dwelling in that land. Now, when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So very similar comment to what we had at the end of 16, that God gives them all this, but there's some kind of compromise that seems to get worked that may not have been according to God's word. One thing before we go too far, uh, one thing about Beit Sha'an, this is the place, and it's a huge uh, place to visit, which I do take my people over to that locality. Even now, um, that's the place where they hung Saul. You remember when the Philistines got mm. hold of him, and they put him yeah. up on the wall. So we still actually have that. Yeah, the divisions can cause us if we get bogged down with that. But we, I, I'm, I'm hoping and we praying that through our discussion, we allow the people to see the hand of God at work in these localities and how he is dividing the land to be a blessing and not a burden. I really cannot stress that enough. Even though we may not understand all the geographies that there, like I said, I've been to almost all of them except a couple of places. I've been to Endor, I've been to many of those places, but not to all of them. But that's not important. What is important to see how God is working through this for our good and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So we, we see that, that God is good, and God is giving them lots of, um, lots of good land. And Manasseh, I mean, just it, it's really striking, right? He gets this really big portion on the east and the west side of the river. Um, he's also getting, I mean, it's interesting, right? He gets um, these extra cities kind of in other parts of the territories, right? In Issachar and Asher's territory. So it's just so, so much. Um, yet, well, and we're, we're going to see this, right? This, this is the thing that's coming up that you mentioned at the top of the hour for all the blessing here. Is it ever enough? <laughs> so yeah. maybe well, we should go ahead. Too, go ahead. We should share what just quick uh, here. Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim were the ha- two and a half tribes that decided to stay on the eastern part of the Jordan, if you remember. And Moses said, well, you have to go out and fight with yes. your people and then come back. Mm-hmm. So they built the cities. And so it's a very fertile property, very, very fertile. Even to today, it's called Jezreel, which will be coming to it very soon. So I'm going to let you go ahead and finish because we are running down with time. Go ahead. Okay, so here's the rest of the chapter, Joshua chapter 17. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, though I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, but those in Bethshan and its villages and those in the valley in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. So, so yeah, so uh, this big territory, but it's it's going to get even bigger. Just the, the, the Canaanites keep coming up here. So, uh, and uh, the question of faith. So, yes, brother, uh, just a couple more minutes, me, but but please wrap, wrap things up for thoughts. us. Right. Okay, let me just quickly uh, remember Joshua is part of which tribe? Ephraim. Very good. And what is he doing? He's not showing partiality to the Ephraimite. Uh, he yes. said, you are so numerous. He, he's just. He's a just man. So he's not going them to give them any favor. He said, if uh-huh. you are that numerous, get up and do something about it. Why? Because right. God is with you. And they are afraid because they have an ungrateful heart because all they see is what the Canaanites have, the chariots that is barzel, which is uh, metal or iron. And so they are just looking at 
the outside, but God is with them, and they have forgotten that. And, and they says, no, we can't go. He says, yes, you can. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, he says, you go out as a already have won. It's in the present tense. Right now, this is yours now, not in the future. It's already mm-hmm. been yours because God has said it will be yours. And they come up with all kinds of excuses, excuses just like their forefathers said, oh, we can't go and fight the Canaanites because they are too numerous. Now, the Rephaim that is talking about, these were giants, people who were very powerful, and so they were scared. And ultimately, they subdue them when they get so much in number, but they have failed to obey the word of God. God said to them, drive them out. They enslaved them, but they never drove them out. And they, when you don't obey God, there are the consequences. And this is what you see right here. Amen, brother. Thank, so thank you for that. That really speaks to the, the whole chapter as we look at the whole thing, right? If there's any problems, right, it, it's the lack of obedience. It's the lack of faith, which, which hears the Word of God and keeps it, right? And then as you said, though, on, on the other hand, though, right, um, if we have any need, God's blessing is more than enough. And and Joshua, it, it, I didn't think about that, but you're so right. Joshua, he's he's impartial. He speaks for God. He he's not picking sides. And and God's saying, you know what? I've given you more than enough. You know, just reach out in faith and take what I've already put in your possession. So that that's that's very well said. It. That I think ties it together. Yeah. Look at verse eighteen. Kihar Yahweh lecha. So um, the mountain of God is yours, present, now, right? Not ki ya'ar hu ubarato. And he says, uh, even the wooded areas is yours. Cut them down. Mm-hmm. They're yours already. And yeah. he will be, uh, and this will be to you, until the farthest end. So God is giving you all of this. You don't see all the blessings God is giving you. You only look at what in front of your eyes, but God is giving you an undeserved inheritance. But it isn't so much different than it is with us today, brother. Am I right or am I wrong? God gives us You're so absolutely right. Amen. And we look Amen. on the outside and we say we can't do it. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. All out of time, but blessing having you on as always. Please come up again, come again real soon. Everybody, that was Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity in Hartford, South Dakota, also fourth vice president of the LCMS. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Till next time, peace. To Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.